Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 43 of ADHD for Smartass Women. And today I have invited Megan Margaret Burlingame to our podcast. Megan is 34 years old and the mother of two very busy boys. She was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of seven and currently lives in Arlington, Washington, where she works with cities, counties, and government agencies to advise them on zoning and legal land issues. In her free time, Megan also operates a small flower farm where she grows a large variety of organic heirloom tomatoes. Before I welcome Megan, I want to tell you how I found her. So I found her in our Facebook group of the same name, ADHD for Smartass Women. And what happened is one of our members shared a post. And then another one of our members jumped in and responded by saying this, I cannot see ADD as a positive tool. I find it life shattering. And this, this was Megan's brilliant response. I want to read it to you. The more I educate myself about it, the more I realize that it makes me who I am. I am so, so good with people. I understand their natures and moods. Sometimes it's like a wave of emotions that hit me when I enter a room and while inconvenient, lets me see the true nature of people. I am also much more empathetic because of how much I was picked on for skipping around school constantly saying the wrong things, laughing too loud, etc. I love to root for the underdog and think that cruelty from others for any reason is horrendous. In a crisis or when someone is swamped with work, I can jump in and formulate a plan, execute it with... <laughs> I, I practice this word, but I don't know why I always mispronounce it. Execute it with a maniacal glee and excel <laughs> beyond my peers. I am always always is in caps, by the way, thinking. I constantly have ideas. This is challenging, but once I make up my mind that I want something, want it enough anyway, there is no stopping me. I love to fail. It is like a challenge. My husband says he learned a long time ago not to tell me what I couldn't do. Well, wait a minute. Not to tell me that I couldn't do something. And he's right, because I will want to do it, even if I had no interest in it before. And then I will, 95% of the time, prove him wrong in the process and succeed. I am fiercely loyal to a fault, even. I love what I love, and I love who I love fiercely. 
These are all things I attribute to my ADHD, and they are all wonderful. Yes, they are also a double-edged sword, but so is every other personality type, I think. I used to wish everything wasn't so hard, but now I realize that I wouldn't change it for the world because I have a lot of grit, and I am a living example of someone who literally failed each grade through 10th grade until leaving tiny private schools that only taught for the neurotypical brain. I had a 3.3 GPA in Running Start, a community college program that got me within four classes of my AA by high school graduation. And 12 years later, I earned my bachelor's degree, summa cum laude, with a 3.95 GPA. If you knew how many times I've heard this story, Megan, it wasn't easy, but I never gave up on my dreams either. There is a lot to be frustrated with indeed, but much to rejoice in as well. We are not the same as the neurotypical, but that is okay. Oh my God, Megan. I love that. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So I couldn't love this anymore, what you said. And so I want to know, how did you get, I mean, literally I read that and I thought this is exactly what everything I'm doing is about. And this podcast is about, and this face group, you know, is about just really getting women to understand what their strengths are rather than focusing on their weaknesses. And that it doesn't matter what we want to accomplish and do, there is a way to get there if we have enough interest. So I couldn't love this anymore. And so I want to know from you, how did you get from failing through each grade up until the 10th grade to this, what you wrote? I have no idea, except that it, that just seems to be how life works out. But I will say um, there, it was a TED Talks video that had the largest impact on me within the last few years. There is a YouTuber. Um, is it okay if I mention the name? Oh my gosh, of course. I think I know who you're going to, who you're going to mention. I love her too. How to ADHD. Is that the channel that you watch? What is it called? How to ADHD. Yes. With, uh, what's her name? She's so adorable. I can't think of her name. I'm so bad with names. So ADHD, but yes. Do you know what takes her? I think it's 80 hours to do each one of those videos. I do not doubt it. They are so good. Actually, I had never seen one until today, but I watched her Ted talk several years ago. I just never got around to it, even though I meant to, you know how that is. Right. Okay. So let's figure out who we're talking about here. How to ADHD. Yes. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm Googling it right now because I know people are going to want to know, oh my God, what is her name? Um, this is so ADHD, right? Stopping in the middle of a video. Jess, is her name Jessica? You know what? Oh, <laughs> Jessica I, McCabe. That's who it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I just love her. So, so I guess my big question though is you must have... Well, let's talk about when you were diagnosed at seven. Was it this big old bad thing that, oh my God, it means you're stupid. It means like, what What did you think about it, if you remember? I don't even, well, I, I remember it vividly. And actually at that, uh, <laughs> there's so many rabbit holes here. At that time, my mom was being treated for depression and she was taking depression medication. And so she said, well, you're just going to take a pill like I do every day. But be before that, and I think in hindsight, it was supposed to be a punishment. My mom had to come to school with me for like two weeks straight because I couldn't focus. And um, that 
I, I'm not sure what the purpose of her coming to school with me was, but she literally sat next to me and I was like, cool, my mom's here. <laughs> <laughs> all your all your friends would have been horrified, but you're like, this is cool. I know. I thought it was amazing. I like my mom. <laughs> so then, yeah. um, and But when they started asking me, and she relays this to me, I don't remember this as well. She said, you know, when they were asking why you're having trouble paying attention, you start talking about people sharpening their pencils and moving around the room and blowing their nose. And, and I was like, oh, okay. So I always thought of it as more being distracted and being distractible and having trouble getting started on things, procrastinating. All these really negative things were always what I associated with it. And my mom in well-meaning, um, you know, she doesn't like to focus on the bad stuff. So we didn't really talk about it unless I was having a problem and which, and then she would try and help me solve the problem or find a solution, but it wasn't, it was never a positive thing. So I never learned much about it. I never did any research until I saw that Ted talks video. And I was like, Oh, these, it, this explains sort of the good and the bad. I mean, it's just yeah. such a big part of who I am and why I do the things that I do. And maybe that's not a horrible thing, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I struggled for, for a lot of years, you know, did you think you weren't smart though, because you struggled in school or did you always know I am smart? I just can't show it the way they want me to. No, I always thought I, 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 ne- I never attributed being smart as a quality. And even, um, when I was, wait, wait, I, I don't understand your answer. Can you expound on that? Or expand never, on that. I never thought of myself as being very smart. And even when I went back to college 12 years later and I was getting straight A's, I remember telling my sister, like, well, the classes, they aren't very hard. You know, I really feel like, <laughs> like I'm kind of cheating somehow because I, I feel like college classes should be harder. It's not that I'm smart. They're just not, they're just not very hard. Uh, that's so ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> and she says to me, Maggie, you're doing, that's what she calls me. You're doing a great job and you should be proud of yourself. And I was like, well, I guess, but what if I was taking calculus? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I am proud of myself for getting good grades. And I, you know, I, I try not, I, I listen to your podcast about imposter syndrome and I'm like, well, I've just got to get over this stuff. So <laughs> just be happy. Right. Right. So do you feel like your mother, well, first of all, do you think your mom has ADHD? She does. So then in, in my adulthood, I think I was maybe 18 or 19. She always had, she was never, depression medicine wasn't good for her. She had a lot of mood swings and problems. And it turns out that it was probably the medication she was on and not being treated for ADHD. And so her um, psychiatrist, he said to her, are you sure that you don't have ADHD? And she was like, well, no, I'm not like Megan. I'm not hyperactive. I'm, you know, I'm not that. And she's also dyslexic. And she is always late and she has so many of the characteristics of somebody with ADHD, but she just thought you had to be kind of bouncing off the walls all the time and really talkative. And and that wasn't her. And, and I know that's a common thing. So she started taking ADHD medicine and then she was a completely different version of herself. And it was, wow. And this was how long ago? Oh, it's probably been 12 or 13 years ago that that happened. Okay. That's so interesting. And so do you feel like all through your childhood, despite the fact that you struggled and it sounds like you struggled not only with, I mean, this sounds tough because not only did you struggle with school, but you struggled with a lot of mean kids too, because they just didn't get who you were. 
No, and kids, you know, it's it's hard. Most of the the worst years were probably fourth through eighth grade. And there are hormones and all kinds of reasons why kids are so darn mean. But when I went to these small schools, you know, you had maybe 10 people in your whole classroom in two grades. So if if they didn't like you, there were no other kids <laughs> to be right. with. And once I got to high school, even though it was a small private school and I still struggled with grades, there were more children and it was easier for me to find people who were interested in theater and, and I did speech and debate stuff. And, and that was amazing. Okay. So um, do you feel that despite the fact that you struggled, that did you have supportive parents? Like they, they didn't, you know, we, we hear the, the statistics that by the time an ADHD child is 12, they've heard 20,000 more negative messages than a neurotypical brain kid. And that is a huge part of why, you know, they then struggle with all these self-esteem issues. So I am wondering, and they say that if you have one person who believes in you, that is huge as far as becoming successful with ADHD. And so I guess my question is, do you feel your mom was that? She really was. And and that's probably the only reason I was, maybe not the only reason, but the largest reason I was able to go back to school is, you know, she used to tell me, she got really upset actually when I stopped after my associate's degree. And she said she went back to school as an adult and with not an associate's degree. She got her degree. She went to nursing school and she's been an RN for a long time. And that was after she had two kids. And so she is, you know, she did, she was always like, I did things the hard way. I want what's, I want you to have an easier life than I had. Why do you have to learn the hard way all the time? And, and it's true. I, I do have to learn the hard way all the time. I wish I didn't, but, um, she also always telling me, you can do anything that you want to do. If you try hard enough, you can be just about anything that you want to be. And even math, you know, she took a bunch of math classes and neither of us is very good at math. And I've realized this because I've never understood how the puzzle kind of fits together. And so I could never, it was like, I mm-hmm. was memorizing one equation in isolation. And then even though supposedly they build on each other, when I go to learn a more complicated one, I view it as its own entity. And so I could never figure out how math worked. But, you know, she was like, if you practice enough, you know, you can, you cannot maybe be inherently good at math, but you can do it. And so when I went back to school, it's like, well, my mom says I can do anything. <laughs> and, and she was right. That's so sweet. But I, I think that when you have failed so much and for so long, but you, you do learn how to beat a dead horse and maybe not make it alive again, but something, (laughs) you know, comes out of it that you can use or, or learn from. And that is how eventually I succeed. If I don't get what I wanted from whatever, whatever the result was, it leads me to a different path that, might be better or that maybe I didn't realize I wanted for my future. And now I'm here and this is great. And, and that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that's such an important message because especially for parents of kids with ADHD, all the other stuff doesn't matter. If you can constantly hit home with them, how much you believe in them and that they are going to figure it out. To me, that is literally 50% of the battle. Would you agree? I do agree. 
And you just can't give up on that. They, you know, they give up on ourselves enough. You know, we think even when nobody says that about the negativity, there's so much when you're failing all the time, especially, or you don't understand something and people are talking to you and you're thinking, I should be understanding what they're saying. Why can everybody else understand? And I can't understand. And, and then you start thinking, can they tell, are they looking at me? Do they think I'm stupid? And and you're beating yourself up internally. And so I think it, that's why kids, children are so much more sensitive. Children with ADHD are so much more sensitive because we're already doing that. We already feel like a failure. And so any negative response from our, our parents or authority figures is teacher. Yeah. yeah. It's just so detrimental. Okay. So I want to, I, I just want to talk about some of the things that you said that I, they just resonated with me. <laughs> you just really resonated with me. And the first thing you said is I am so, so good with people. I understand their natures and moods. And I have talked about the fact that I really realized that, oh my gosh, what I have is ADHD when I heard about interpersonal intuition. You know, this idea that you can literally feel the energy in a room. You can walk into a room, not even know the people that are there, and you know what's going on. And I think that that's what you were talking about. It is. And it's even with, it's, if if a room is really negative and people, Mm -hmm. and there's, it's just like you walk in and I feel, I walk in and I feel so anxious and so wound up and I can tell like, maybe they were talking about me. Maybe they weren't, but everybody's Mm -hmm. all upset for some reason. I can't always tell what it is. (laughs) I just know that something's not right. And, and it makes me just not want to be there or present, or I can't pay attention. (laughs) You know, my mind just kind of wants to block it out. And when people are really happy, it's the same thing. I feel light. I feel good. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I love these people. This is wonderful. <laughs> it's so easy to be here. <laughs> well, and that's another thing that I talk about all the time, that it's about positive emotion. When you feel good, you need to do more of whatever it is that makes you feel good, right? Yeah. And when you feel that negativity, when you don't feel good, run away from that. Go find something that feels better. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing you said is that you feel like you're much more empathetic because of how much you were picked on for skipping around school constantly, saying the wrong things, laughing too loud, et cetera, which I just love that. They picked on me in PE. I remember I was skipping. I don't remember why, but it wasn't like <laughs> you weren't supposed to be skipping. It was just like, why are you skipping while we're playing baseball or whatever it was? And I was like, why? I was just like, why, why does anyone care that I'm happy? <laughs> yeah. Or just leave me alone. So how many girls were there in that particular class? Was it, you said it was small, right? It was very small and it was sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Okay. So do that you, time. And I don't remember, maybe 20 there, there. It was a, it was a really small school. And so do you feel like having gone through that yourself is actually what makes you more empathetic or do you think you were always just empathetic? I don't know. I, I might've always been empathetic, but it makes, it made me more in tune to what could maybe be hurtful to people or be able to put myself in their shoes. As a child, Mm -hmm. I didn't have that skill. I had a harder time understanding that what I say or do might have a negative impact or hurt somebody else because I was so And I didn't think before I spoke. And oftentimes I didn't mean something the way that it came out of my mouth. And as an adult, if, 
you know, even with my own behavior, if I say something, I'm like, oh, that sounded, <laughs> that wasn't right. <laughs> and so then I'll, I'll try to go back. You know, I, I really apologize. <laughs> I don't, you know, here's how I heard it in my head after it came out. I should have maybe approached this differently and that helps. But I also just, if it, somebody is hurting, I automatically just want to go to them and, and, make them more comfortable or happy. Or if they feel, you know, I always feel out of place with new people and new things. And I don't want to talk to anyone because I'm so afraid. And I don't know how to just go and speak to people that I don't know in an uncomfortable setting. If I'm with friends or family, it's easy, but by myself, it's so hard. So when somebody new joins our group or our family dinner or whatever it is, I go out of my way to make sure they're comfortable and I'm talking to them and they feel included because I hate that feeling. <laughs> and maybe they don't feel that way, but I just, you know, I just am always because of those experiences and probably my ADHD experiences just inwardly. I'm always trying to think, okay, how can I help this person? This person looks sad. What can I do? Maybe they, maybe I can buy them something. <laughs> totally. Totally. So you made me think of an experience. I was in eighth grade and there was a girl in our class and her name was Betty. And she was always, you know, a bit awkward. And I remember we were sitting in a group. This was a, uh, a Catholic school so it was especially, you know, it was a huge faux pas what I said, which flew out of my mouth. And we were all talking about the boys that we liked in the class. And she mentioned that, oh, I like this boy. I can't even remember what his name is anymore. And literally out of my mouth flew, well, he doesn't like you. That's a waste of your time. <laughs> and to this day, I mean, that was when I was in eighth grade. So, you know, 30 years later or whatever it is, I still remember. And I remember all the girls were like, that is the meanest thing you could. I, I felt so terrible. However, in my defense, what I said was true, <laughs> but you just don't say it, you know? <laughs> So anyway, I, I still think about that today. And so I think that when other people shoot their mouths off, especially kids, and they say things that they shouldn't say, I always feel like I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and I stick up for them because I remember what I said to poor Betty, you know, when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> well, and, it, and it's hard. But you know, the other thing is, is I, I often think there is a double-edged sword and I and I believe where I was going is that we're also honest or I'm honest because I'll forget that I lied or I'm just not very good at pretense. And so you'll know I'm not being very authentic. And one of the things I like the best about my ADHD is that, I mean, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You can read my face if I'm not telling the truth or I am really confused. <laughs> and, and so at the same time, same time, yeah, we're a little bit on the blunt side. However, you, you know who we are. We are who we are. And if you know us well enough, you know that we don't mean to say inappropriate things. Sometimes it comes out a little bit wrong, but at our core. But it's always true. <laughs> it's always true. And it's meant with love. And generally, we'll apologize. We'll be like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I can completely relate. So the other thing that you said is in a crisis or when someone is swamped with work, and I'm pointing these things out because I think they're so ADHD. In a crisis or when someone is swamped with work, I can jump in and formulate a plan, execute it with a maniacal glee, I got it that time, and excel beyond my peers. 
Why do you think that is? What about your ADHD allows you to do that? I think a couple of things. One is the ability to hyper-focus. So once I have a task and I know what I'm supposed to tackle, and I, I even if I don't know exactly how to tackle it, it's like, okay, I'm turned on. My brain is, the light bulb in my brain has turned on. Let's get this done. Let's do it. And the other reason is because I love challenge. I love puzzles. I like to figure things out. And in fact, if I don't know how to get it done, but I mostly kind of know the path I need to be on, it is so much fun finding my way there. And so I think it also lights up kind of a creative analytical part of my brain that keeps me focused and excited. And then I, but I, I have trouble sleeping or eating or doing anything else because I'm having so much fun trying to figure this out. Right. You can't stop. I think they have to sleep and eat as to where I <laughs> will just keep going. Right. Absolutely. I, I say often that if I didn't have my husband who would literally come in and say, uh, you know, it's kind of dinner time. Maybe we should start thinking about getting dinner on the table. I would literally work through till two in the morning and not even notice. So, you know, it's all who you marry. <laughs> okay. So do you use medication? I do. And do you use it every day or is it the kind of thing that you use when you need to do something specific? This is an interesting thing you just asked me, actually. Uh So when we first started taking medication, I did it on and off for a very long time. And then as an adult, I was like, well, I'm only going to take it before I do the things that I need to do. And I always felt like that was acceptable. That was the way I should be medicating. You know, why would I take it if I'm at home or on the weekend? And Mm -hmm. I remember I went to see a psychiatrist right after I had my second son. And he said, you know, I'm listening to you talk. And he said... And I hadn't apologized for it, but he said, basically, you don't have to apologize for maybe taking your medication every day. You don't, there's nothing wrong with taking your medicine every day, even on the weekends, even, you know, in the afternoon, if you're not doing something, you don't have to do that. There's nothing wrong with taking it consistently. And once I heard that, I thought, oh, (laughs) Oh, really? I don't even know. It just kind of hit me that that is what I had been doing without realizing it. And I have since then been taking it twice a day. And it is so much more effective, I tell you. Wow. When you you take your medicine consistently. You're so lucky that it works for you. (laughs) I, you know, I wish there was something that I could take when I, especially when I know that, you know, I need some big paper or anything that requires me to sit down for hours on end, financial things, numbers, but okay. sadly I don't. So instead I have to go to the gym. <laughs> That's all that works for me. I wish I, could, I wish I went to the gym. I, that would be much better for me. <laughs> have you read the book, A Spark by, um, oh, it's, it's John Rady. I have not. About exercise in the brain. No. No. I think you said you're an avid reader. Did you tell me that? I did. Ah, you should read that book. Okay. It's fascinating. I've already forgot the name of it though. So if you forgot to write it down when we're done. Spark and it's by John Rady and it's yellow and there's a little stick figure running on the cover of it. I actually did a podcast about it as well. Okay. 
anyway, I mean, exercise really does work for me. And I always wonder, does exercise work so well for me because medication doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know? I I mean, I'm never quite sure. Or is it that if I took medication and it actually worked for me, I'd realize how little exercise actually does work. I don't know, but it works for mood and it works for focus. So it's one of those things that I literally have to wake up in the morning. And the first thing I do is I go work out. And that just sort of sets my day. Do either of your boys, have either of them inherited your ADHD? Not that I know of, although recently uh, my older boy, he's almost 10, he has been talking a lot about getting in trouble, not getting in trouble at school, but his teacher said he was allergic to listening and he feels like he's having trouble focusing. And I thought, no, crud, (laughs) he might might have ADHD. (laughs) Especially when I heard your podcast about how inheritable it is, which I did not really know. I guess I should have known because my mom apparently has it. But I, I didn't realize that it could be that prevalent within a family line. Yep. As heritable as height. So I think it's just number two after height, which is very heritable. I think it's like in the 70th percentile. Megan, you said that uh, medication does work for you, but I'm wondering, do you have any non-pharmacological workarounds? I do. And one of the things is that I'm always fidgeting, right, to pay attention and I used to get in trouble a lot for that. So I'm always moving my toes in my shoes <laughs> all the time. Like, And even when I'm st- sitting still on my couch or on the bed, my husband's like, stop it. You're weirding me out. But you'll just see like my pinky toe moving. I'm doing it. It's just how I'm kind of relaxing myself. That's not this big body movement, but also lists. I make a lot of lists and I have recently learned, even with medication, you know, a lot of these things still do affect me quite a lot. And so I I had too many calendars at one point and I couldn't remember to look at the correct calendar for correct <laughs> tasks. And I was always double booking myself or, for myself or forgetting I had appointments and it was just horrible. So recently I started color coding things with little tabs and I'm like, okay, this was a project I'm working on. This is an appointment I have to go to. <laughs> Okay. Um, and that, and that's really helpful, but, and uh, well, you know, it, it, it's so <laughs> weird because you don't, you create what I call coping mechanisms, but I don't always mm-hmm. know what they are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well, I, I can see a really big one. I think, how about your flower farm? Oh, I mean, I, I think nature, yeah. right. Is one of the best workarounds as far as just I don't know what it is about if I get out in nature, my focus goes through the roof after, you know, I come back in. You're right. And honestly, we bought two acres in the country about two years ago. And one of the other things I found was when I get really frustrated with school, I would go out with a machete and I would just like start hacking paths within our like blackberry bushes and and that sort of thing. And it was so, it felt so good, you know, to the cold air and the exerting myself and feeling like I had accomplished something that was something I could just do without thinking about. Or, you know, if I go walk around in my flower, we grow mostly dahlias. I go walk around in the dahlias. It's so relaxing and peaceful and quiet. And I never knew that was what I needed. I had really struggled with anxiety and probably some depression from when we lived in apartments and, uh, and it made it more difficult for me to do my job because my world was just always this cycle of being kind of closed in 
not really getting out and doing things, not being as active as maybe I should. And now I walk out of my house and there's always something to do and it feels so. And then once you're done, the neat thing about being in the country and yard work and flowers and gardening is that you can see what you have accomplished. It's immediate. I just pruned the apple tree and there are limbs everywhere. (laughs) Right. And that's exactly what we need, right? (laughs) It feels so good. Action result. And then you can do the thing that you don't want to do. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. You get your brain primed and then you go do that that thing. I have to tell you that we live on six and a half acres and my fantasy is to have a flower farm, except for I don't want to be the one that manages it. I just want someone else to come put all the flowers, because I love flowers. I love scents. Mm -hmm. Put all the flowers, you know, grow the flowers for me and do all the work. And then I can just go out there and cut what I need. (laughs) Because I know just how much work it is. Mm -hmm. So definitely, that's my fantasy. Okay, my last question for you, and then I'm going to let you go. I know you need to take care of your boys. What is your best advice to those who are struggling right now, here today with their ADHD? I would say... Like, they don't see it as a strength at all. They just see everything that's wrong with them. I would say the most beneficial thing that I ever could have done... In, in connection with my ADHD and how down on myself that I was, was to start looking for things that I liked about myself and things that I was good at despite having ADHD. And as I was doing that and kind of brainstorming it, I thought, and it all kind of came together. Like these are skills I've acquired or parts of my personality that are very true for most people with ADHD. And so what if I didn't have ADHD? Would... Would I still be the same person? Would I still, you know, would I be successful? And if it's not working, you know, what what can I do not to fit into the world, but to help the my world fit into me? Yeah. And and that and that has really made a huge difference. And it, it made me understand why I've quit jobs within four months of starting. I've never been fired, but I've quit after a couple of months because I was like, I hate this, or I don't like the people, and everybody's really cranky and mean, and it makes me feel like I want to die. And why I've loved other jobs and stayed there, you know, and been loyal forever, even though maybe I could have something better or different to expand my career. And and once I realized that, I thought, well, ADHD isn't such a bad thing. And yeah, no, you know, my little great advice. I, I, she isn't medicated. She's had ADHD since she was very small, but anyway, she has been struggling and her dentist was like, well, you have anxiety. You should take anxiety medicine. And her, and her mom was like, you're depressed. You should take depression medicine. And so I'm looking at her and I said, you know, she's like, and I don't know what to do. And I said, her name is Lane. (laughs) I said, Lane, if there's one thing that you and I have known since the time we like for as long as we can even really remember is that we have ADHD. We have that for sure, definitely (laughs) for our whole lives. I said, so if you're, if you're really thinking. And and is this a stepsister or is this your, is this a biological sister? She's my half sister. So you don't share the same mother or. Yes. We don't share the same mother. Okay. Okay. And so maybe my dad has ADHD too. That's a whole different talk, but. Right. um, I said, you know, you should go and talk to a psychiatrist. I said, even if you don't take medicine, at least you can go and speak with them or go and see somebody about behavior, like cognitive behavioral therapy and try to work around. I said, because ADHD 
often presents like depression and anxiety, but a lot of the times treating your ADHD, however you're doing it, will calm those problems and stop them. You know, when I was first, uh, when I first started taking medicine, when I was 16, again, I had this big long break, right? And the first psychiatrist I went to said, I have cyclothymia and which is like a smaller, like a less horrible version of bipolar. I think it's how I interpreted it. Uh-huh. And he put me on a drug called Lamictal, which apparently has these really terrible negative uh. side effects or it can, I didn't have them luckily, but my mom was terrified and he, but he was like, well, we can't treat her ADHD until we treat this mood disorder first. Uh, and well. I took that for years. And then a few years later, I went to see her psychiatrist and Oh, I think I might've been even an adult by the time I was like, you know, I had, that was what it was. I had gotten pregnant and I had stopped taking all my medicine. I was like, okay, well, I think I was an angsty teenager with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And that was where this mood stuff was because I don't feel crazy when I don't have my medicine. And, and then sure enough, I started taking ADHD medicine by itself. And I thought that it's so horrible that that is how they diagnose first. They'll say, oh, you look like you might have depression too. So take some depression medicine. And so on the same note as before, for people who are newly diagnosed or looking at being diagnosed, you know, if, if a psychiatrist tells you, you have a mood disorder, we cannot treat you for ADHD before we treat you for that. Just tell them no, maybe run (laughs) depending. Yes. Because, and it's such a common therapy thing. And I think they're just afraid that you'll like commit suicide or something if they leave it untreated. But oftentimes I don't think that's the issue at all. Well, I don't think they know about ADHD and certainly not ADHD in women or girls. That's, that's probably very true. Wow. I love that though. I love that your best advice is really about focusing on your strengths. Because again, if we are hearing 20,000 more negative messages by the time we're 12, all mm-hmm. we've heard are weaknesses, right? We haven't heard about our strengths. So I think that's, it's brilliant. And um, if your son ends up being one of us, lucky him, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know that he'll have a great mother who knows, you know, she knows the terrain. So Megan, I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge here with us today. And I'm wondering if people want to learn more about you or they want to chat with you about, you know, anything that you've said, where can they find you? Can they find you? I, well, I have, I have a Facebook page and, um, I also have my flower farm page, but I don't, um, I don't really have any other ways. No, that's great. But I would love, I would love to talk to anybody who wants to talk to me, especially, you know, if I can support anyone in their journey, that is something I, I would love to do because you just, like you said, with the negative reinforcement, that's just something that we don't get enough of, I think, especially if you don't have close family members who have the same struggles. I mean, who do you, who do you turn to, to say this sucks (laughs) and I need help, or I just need someone to acknowledge that this isn't great right now. Right. So what is the URL for your flower farm? It's called, uh, well, it's summitflowerfarm.com. And then there's also a Facebook page for Summit Flower Farm. And then I'm on Facebook. It's Megan Margaret Burlingame. Megan Margaret Burlingame. So I grew up in a town called Burlingame. Yeah. And I I mentioned this before, but I was 
called the Burlingame Blab (laughs) in my house because I couldn't, you know, I divulge all the family secrets. So my my stepmom, my Uh Elaine's mother, she, her dad used to call me motor mouth. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yep. We all have all these little names. Well, anyway, Megan, thank you so much. I loved our conversation and I really appreciate your time here. And that's what I have for you all this week. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Megan Margaret Burlingame, please let us know by leaving a review. You know, my goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as I possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work and discover their amazing strengths. And I'm telling you, your reviews really help in that regard. So please, please, please go over to whatever platform you're on and I would just so appreciate a review. Also, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.